from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Caitlin Wilcox, resident actor. Will Clark, I'm an actor and an associate artistic director with the Cry Havoc Company. Jennifer Kerfman, I am also an associate artistic director and an actor. Allie Keller, I am a former intern of the Cry Havoc Company and the current outreach coordinator. And I'm Kit Lavoie, I am a director and playwright and the artistic director of the Cry Havoc Company. Uh, Today is a special episode of the Cry Havoc podcast. Uh, As you may have noticed, we introduced ourselves a little differently than we normally do, uh, in part because of the topic of this podcast. Uh, We're coming to you today from the campus of Bucknell University, uh, where we are currently bringing a tour of one of our plays to the campus. And uh, the play is called Realer Than That. It's actually one that we've talked about in other ways in the past. And we're bringing it here and to other universities as part of an ongoing uh, sexual assault awareness program. And so we're going to have uh, two parts of this discussion. The first part of the discussion, we're going to talk a bit about the program and uh, what it has been like to be on campuses uh, with the program. And then also we're going to talk with the actors who are in it uh, about the specific challenges of this piece and, and how they have been tackling those challenges. And we're joined today by two special guests. Tracy Russell, director of the Women's Resource Center at Bucknell. Eliza McDonald, Bucknell's student. We feel very fortunate to be back here at Bucknell that we have, uh, this was actually the first school that we brought this program to two years ago and they've been wonderful hosts to us three times now and we're delighted that they're going to join us for this conversation. Um, But this is a play and this is a bit of a spoiler alert um, for the play if you're planning to see it but I'm not sure how we can talk about it without talking about what happens over the course of the play. Um, It's a play that was originally written as a play as something that has been done um, at a number of different theaters in the U.S. and also in in Africa and in Europe. Um, And it's a play that deals with with date rape in a a specific way, which is that the plot of the play is that uh, Jared, who in this production is played by Will Clark, is with us, um, and Colleen, who's played by Caitlin Wilcox, uh, are high school sweethearts Uh, who meet up at a friend's wedding and return to a hotel room together. Uh, Throughout the early part of the play, she is very aggressive about wanting to uh, get to business and get in bed while he's very interested in talking about uh, the love that they lost in high school and trying to reconcile with her. Uh, Over the course of the play, and this is where the spoiler alert comes, what becomes clear is that he has been on a reality TV show, had talked about their relationship, um, and in talking about their relationship, it exploded something in her marriage because she had told her husband that she was a virgin when they met, in large part because she had been raped before she met him. The conversation goes on wherein Jared tries to be some comfort to Colleen, which is not something she's interested in, until as she is beginning to leave, what comes to light is that he is the one who raped her that does not match his memory of the event and uh, the rest of the play is about them hashing out their very different experiences of what it was that happened between them those years ago. And it actually was a play that in the various productions that we've had in the past always really uh, 
created a really interesting discussion among the audience when we did a, a talk back afterwards about the nature of communication and miscommunication between uh, sex partners and especially when they're young and there was one time that we were doing the show where there was uh, actually an administrator from NYU in the audience who came up to us afterwards and said you know this is a conversation that should be happening on college campuses but isn't happening on college campuses and you should consider bringing the show to schools so that is what we've done uh, that is as we're talking uh, for the rest of this episode, that's the play that we're talking about. And again, Tracy was uh, kind enough to be the first person, and uh, her program was the first program to bring us to a campus. Uh, now it's uh, coming up on two years ago. So, if you wouldn't mind, Tracy, I mean, obviously uh, you brought this program and other programs to uh, to this campus, as other people have brought it to uh, their campuses. Can you talk a bit about the uh, issue as it exists on college campuses? Sure, um, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. I think um, the, the issue of sexual misconduct and dating violence on college campuses is a challenge across the country in terms of how we create meaningful dialogue and real prevention. Um, I think schools by and large um, have been working very hard on how to respond to um, incidents like this on college campuses, but how do we create meaningful dialogue with students? Um, we had the good fortune, um, and I will share, um, Ali Keller, who is a, a Bucknell alumna, um, first brought me the, the script um, when she was still a student here, and we had a chance, as you said, to, to host you um, back um, in April of 2012 for the first time. And I, I really, um, I, I value this piece because it allows us to, to have a, a conversation that a lot of other programs or other approaches don't really allow us to have because it approaches it from a, a slightly different angle. Following your initial trip to campus, we had the good fortune to receive a Department of Justice grant from the Office on Violence Against Women, their campus grant program, which has afforded us the ability to continue to bring you back. Um, which is wonderful. Um, um, we have gotten some great reviews um, from students, which has allowed us to sort of reach out to new students and continue to, to bring, bring you back and, and continue the conversation. And Allie, as Tracy mentioned, you actually introduced this program to, uh, to her while you were still a student. And actually, you had been an intern with us the summer before that, and had been very involved in the creation of this program and the development of it. And also, to be very candid, your real interest when we told you that that was something we are going to be working on over the summer was one of the reasons that we invited you to become an intern with us, as it was something that you were really seemed very especially interested and passionate about. Do you want to talk a bit about your um, experience of that and why this is something that uh, has drawn your attention and, and your involvement in up until now? Uh, yeah, sure. I think my uh, passion and interest in the program came from a place of trying to discuss with other peers on campus and off campus and people my age about sex and date rape and trying to be people and taking care of one another and, and how to kind of become grown-ups over the next four years and learning very quickly that we didn't have the language to have that conversation in a healthy way. We definitely did not know anything about what we were talking about for the most part because we were brand new people, 18, on our own for the first time <laughs> trying to figure it out. And um, that 
when we try to have the conversation in a more structured environment, especially including um, faculty members or, or older people in general, we became very um, defensive and angry and hurt with the way that we were trying to talk to one another, which became frustrating because everybody in the room wanted to be there to help and everybody left upset and frustrated, which was a very strange occurrence and it kept happening. And with reading this play and something that's so wonderful about this play that I connected to immediately was that um, it's about miscommunication and both of the characters in the play want what they feel is the right thing for them and are good people and no one was at fault and no one was to blame necessarily. They were just trying to navigate through something that they weren't necessarily ready for or ready to communicate about, um, which felt very real and similar to what we were going through. Uh, we were at a place where we just didn't have the language and it usually became a conversation where like when you're kids and to fix a problem, you find out what was at fault and then you punish it or you get punished or you, you know, go sit in the corner and think about what you did. And it kind of felt like we were all leaving the conversation in that place instead of learning how to talk to one another and prevent the problem in the future and how to help each other through things. So that is uh, why I felt so strongly about bringing it to campus because I felt like I had finally found the language and wanted to be able to bring it to other people. Well, can you, Allie, or you, Tracy, or you, Eliza, or anyone? Um, it, it's something that I think both um, Tracy and, and Allie alluded to, is that this is different, I think, than a lot of programming that about these sorts of topics. I actually have some thoughts about why that's the case. I'm sort of curious about your thoughts about the ways in which it, it is different than a lot of programming, and a lot of valuable programming. but. Uh, but the, I, how does this program take a different approach than others? You know, it's been my experience with other um, organizations that use theater to try and address these issues are trying to reenact something or trying to actually um, portray in some regard an assault. And what I like about this is that through throughout the course of the play, you're you're, I think, really required to consider both people and. I think it's really hard to do the other approach well um, in a way that promotes dialogue and doesn't create really a polarization in the audience, which I don't think this piece does. Um, this piece also um, allows us to consider the concept of consent. And I would say for me it's not so much about miscommunication but a lack of communication um, and understanding. And um, it is the kind of case that even though we want to say that there's no one to blame, it is a situation in which Jared could have found himself in some real trouble and um, ultimately could have been held accountable for for what happened. So it's it gives us a chance to talk about, you know, I think when we're talking about sexual assault, sexual violence on college campuses, it's we're often talking about perpetrators, right? It's hard to consider Jared as a perpetrator. He's an average kid, right? You know, not in the play, he's nine years older. But, um, you know, you can really feel sort of where their relationship was, where it is now, and sort of the things you're required to consider as an audience member 
and I think as a student in some ways thinking about sort of how these issues resonate with them now, maybe situations they've been in, situations their friends have been in. Um, and like I said, it just allows us to have a different kind of conversation than other programs would allow us to. I would agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, I, since coming to college, I think have gone to or had three specifically um, sort of sessions or like programs dealing with sexual assault. One of which, which is Alcohol EDU, uh, which is an A program which all first year students have to participate in. And it talks more about binge drinking and how you understand alcohol and being in different situations. And one of them is dealing with sexual assault. And it is very much who is to blame, you know, who do we punish in this situation. And even our new uh, program, Speak Up Bucknell, which is a fantastic program that, um, I don't know if it was spearheaded by students? Um, it's a partnership between the Women's Resource Center and our Counseling Center on Campus, Psychological Services. It, it is student, we, we've partnered with the students to make it, to make and it happen. And it's fantastic. Um, I went to my first Speak Up Bucknell talk last spring. Um, because it started when I was abroad and was amazed that it was such a, it was a very in-depth program, but at the same time, there was still the point in the program where we said, who's to blame or who's at fault? And while everyone in the audience agreed, there was no conversation because there was no place to go, well, what about this? And there was no gray area. There was no availability for anyone to say, I don't know, I, f I feel like there could be a different situation. Um, and I think that's what's great about this play especially is that it does bring in those different feelings towards each character that you know you don't necessarily say yeah Jared is definitely the, the perpetrator in this situation and you know the looking at sexual assault as like perpetrators and you know the people who are violently trying to do these things when that's usually not the case on campus on college campuses so I think it's a very interesting and very useful I don't want to say tool, but program that's brought because it does allow for so much more conversation about, you know, who who could have done something differently, or how could they have both done something differently, or what's missing here? How did they get here? Who do you who do your sympathies lie with? I love that question that you ask it right afterwards because it's it's so perfect because everyone in the audience is like, I don't know, I because they've changed, so I think it's I've seen it twice now and. I've loved it both times because I think it really does spark everyone in the audience to go to really think about the true matters of the complicated situations that arise with sexual misconduct. I think what Eliza was just talking about actually hits on um, very specifically why people feel safe enough to have such an open conversation um, and it's because the way that we set up the conversation after the play is talking about these issues through the lens of the two characters in the play. Um, and from my experience with programs on and off campus, it tends to, if you watch something or talk about something, it becomes a conversation immediately about you and what you can do and what has happened to you. As this is a, is a nice way to be like, we're gonna talk about this issue with these two people in this situation and the conversation can kind of naturally evolve depending on the people in the room to what we can do and how we can help each other and what we have learned from these two people as well as if people aren't comfortable phrasing things that way they can talk about it with 
the two people. So they, there's enough distance that the audience can create to feel safe enough to talk about these issues without putting it onto themselves immediately. And I, I feel like that's a really good point that uh, it doesn't focus on necessarily like prevention, you know, I mean, which is an important part of sexual misconduct, but it's there's no point when like the audience might say like, well, Colleen shouldn't have been drunk or taken that cup that, you know, there aren't these like classic situations that we're taught about, which are obviously huge parts of sexual misconduct. But I think the discussion that happens is an important one because it's about a huge part of prevention that no one talks about, which Tracy, you lied on with miscommunication or lack thereof. I mean, that I think is the biggest problem that none of these prevention courses ever really talk about. Mm -hmm. And this play absolutely brings to light with the fact that it's not, I mean, not necessarily the, the biggest problem, but certainly one of them. Right. And really at the core of, you know, primary prevention is really allowing people to talk about what consent is, what does it look like, what does healthy communication look like? How do you make sure that people are on the same page, you know, and that that what's going forward is mutual and enjoyable and, yeah, all those things that you all talk about so well at the end of the play. <laughs> I think that part of it, and I, I appreciate so much hearing, actually, that your guys' experience of, of the program, and but I think so much of it, actually, we say the program, but I think part of the reason it functions the way it does, it didn't start as a program. Um, it started as a play, you know, that wasn't about proving one point or another. It was, you know, it's, 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 I think that idea, and hopefully where people end up with it, is that they wouldn't want to be either one of these people in this situation. They wouldn't want to be the person who was assaulted, and they wouldn't want to be the person who discovered that they had assaulted someone, or even that the person perceived that that was what happened. And that idea that what can we all do to make sure that we're not that person? Because there certainly are, you know, predators out there. And I, I, I don't think that there's anything that we, with this play or this program or as people, have much to say about that other than law enforcement needs to stop the predators. But in terms of that, this sort of miscommunication or lack of communication that happens between people, I think happens a lot more often than people give it credit for. I mean, I, 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 something that we cite often when in, in the discussion afterwards is that nearly 40% of women, say by the age of 25, have been sexually assaulted on a date, and fewer than 3% of men say that they have sexually assaulted someone on a date. Which means, again, there are, of course, some people who are intentional and repeat offenders, but that doesn't make up for all of that gap. And, and I just know I have had the experience on a, a number of occasions with this particular play of having men, including on a couple of occasions, who I know quite well and know to be very good people, have come up to me to talk to me to say that that was something that they had discovered after an encounter with someone that that person's experience of it was that it, it was forcible and it was not their intention. I wouldn't, and um, it doesn't make it any less true, but it does make it something that I, I think, I hope, is at least somewhat preventable if people are thinking about it in those terms. That these terrible things that most guys don't want to do can happen if they're not careful. And um, 
But again, I think a lot of that goes back to the fact that it wasn't written to be. I, I remember being, you know, my freshman year in college and going to see these skits, which I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure that skits are always the best way to deal with issues like this. But, you know, skits about, about uh, sexual assault on campus, and it was just, it was a guy in a black hat and a damsel in distress, and everyone should just know that you shouldn't drink or you're going to get raped, and that's just not especially helpful, I, I think. Yeah, I think what Ali was saying earlier about, you know, the uh, being able to back up and remove yourself from the situation and talk about these two characters is really valuable and also the distance that they have from the event because, you know, when you see uh, uh, this traumatic event kind of reenacted in front of you. You you have to you're you're dealing with it in this kind of immediate moment, and that's also like how you're dealing with it. Then you're not thinking of the consequences later, and to have uh, something that shows you uh, not what happened in the moment, but that nine years later it's still tra as traumatic an experience as what you could have seen nine years before if somebody reenacted it. It's it maybe more. Uh, so. Um, that there are long-term term effects from these things when they happen. And and it's, you know, there's something about, and I also recall from my freshman year in college 11 years ago, you know, the, the same kind of situation where you're watching this reenactment and I'm thinking, well, I am definitely not that guy. I know I'm not that guy that's about to rape that girl. And I also know before the thing even starts that that's what's gonna happen because the entire program is set up to be like, this is, you're about to see the situation go wrong and we all know where it's going. With, with this play, uh, you know, I don't know where it's going from the beginning at all and the way it comes back around is a surprise to everyone, I think. Um, and I also, uh, you know, think that it puts men that watch it in a position of, you know, understanding what it would be like and can say, oh, I am Jared. I am the guy that didn't rape anyone. That is not what happened that night. And to be like, what if I was in this situation where somebody came to me at this? You know, it, it puts, the, it, it, it implicates the audience in a way where, where they can talk about it and be removed from it and talk about the characters, but they're kind of forced to be like, how would, what would I do if this ever came up? And I got to make sure it never does. <laughs> there's, there's something um, you said, Will, about the, the long-term effects of it. And Allie brought up um, not having the language to talk about these things. And when you see this play and you see how it has impacted Colleen for, you know, a decade, and you think back to, you know, one of the things that, that keeps people from communicating can be really the awkwardness of the conversation or the perceived awkwardness of the conversation, the lack of the language, and thinking that you have a chance to look at this play and see, well, that awkward little conversation would be such a better payoff than this nine years of what these, you know, this woman has lived through. And it, to me, looking at the play in that way and having the the decade of space in between it gives you that chance to to kind of I don't know diffuse some of what is scary about talking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah and something that I just realized right now as we're talking about this is that something that makes it so much easier for people in college to talk about is that it's not people in college in the play. These are who we view as adults, who we want to come out of college 
to become in 10 years. I mean, not these people specifically is not who would want to be. <laughs> but, you know, I think we have this fantasy that we go through four years of college and we make all the bad choices and we're going nuts and we are figuring out who we are and then we graduate and our people and we have our lives together and we watch programs and skits and movies about kids in college making bad choices and 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 messing things up and then have to talk about it and this is it's it makes me realize and and hopefully others that it's skills that we can learn now and it's what we should be learning now to take care of each other but it's skills that we will need forever because the people we want to grow up to be will also be in similar situations or um, complicated situations and we will need the tools for the rest of our lives and I think it's a nice thing that we can we can look at adults more adults dealing with this than how we view ourselves as adults in college. I think that's an important part of the program too is that essentially the two characters are making the same mistake 10 years later as they made 10 years ago with the lack of communication. I mean the incidents that happen in the play that you watch in front of you is also a colossal lack of communication. So I think that helps in that in showing that it's it's not something you grow out of or that you learn and it's done. It's a definite ongoing process no matter how adult you feel you have become or you are. Um, it's a skill that's constantly evolving and constantly improving. And I think um, this is just kind of a general thought I was having based on, you know, talking about talking about punishment and like who's to blame and when people get punished. And I think there's something, and this, this, this is kind of outside of just this arena and just kind of when we're young people are being educated that a lot of times people use kind of scare tactics, you know. I remember being in a driver's ed class where there was an entire class about wearing your seatbelt and all of the information was given, you know, through showing terrible accidents and, you know, you'll, I've, I'll tell you, I've been a police officer for this many years and I've never unbuckled a dead body. And it's like all of these scare tactics that are like kind of in, uh, intense and with the with the kind of looking at the outcome of, of what could happen if you did this and that it means prison and it means this and that it's 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 a little hard to even take that stuff in and I think something that this play does is that it it still kind of uses scare tactics but the ones that you can relate to mm-hmm. ones that you you know I, I can't wrap my mind around you know that if if I did this I might go to jail but what Jared deals with at the end of the play I'm not thinking about jail I'm thinking about how does he go on knowing that she thinks that you know and it's something that is just much more readily there to connect with and is terrifying it's, it's equally terrifying somehow the message is more accessible yeah I think you know and I find sometimes doing this work it's hard to wrap our brains around words that are often used with this education you know power and control and violence and when we're thinking about our peers right people we go to school with and you know it's just really hard to grasp that so a lot of times I find myself using language like um, total disregard for what the other person wanted right which I think can apply in a lot of different situations so I think I think you know, while we have a responsibility as an institution to make sure that people understand policy and you know ramifications and sanctions and all those things, I really appreciate that this allows us to talk about this issue as a human issue. You know, and it really brings that to the fore and allows us to think about it on a on a level again that doesn't polarize the audience. That that the conversations that 
that you all are able to have with the audience afterward, really, I think people leave the room thinking, you know, and that's what we want. We want them to, to um, really begin to think critically about their own interactions with people, um, how they're supporting survivors, you know, how they're um, talking about this issue with their, with their friends and hopefully helping each other make better decisions. Well, and I can tell you absolutely the conversation does continue because even sophomore year when I saw it or last night when I saw it, um, speaking to people afterwards and saying, oh my gosh, did you go see Realer Than That? And they just immediately spout out these things that we've never talked about. I mean, it's never just come up in conversation like let's talk about sexual misconduct. But it certainly is a conversation that should happen far more frequently, especially between the sexes, but also just among peers to say, like you were saying, this play especially brings it to a human level. There's no policies or police involved. They're not talking about the consequences of what's going to happen right five minutes from now if she were to call and something were to happen. But it's about how these two people feel. And I think that's how it's more accessible because the two, these two people were watching how they're dealing with it and how they're feeling about this situation. And we as human beings can say, like you were pointing out, like, how would I feel if I was in that situation? And I can tell you for sure that students go home after that and think about it. And it definitely distracts from homework, but I think that's a valid <laughs> homework excuse. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand by that. <laughs> we think about it. I mean, we had a two hour conversation last night about this yeah. that we've never had before. And it, you know, it, it is just a, such a strong discussion piece that no matter how many times you do it or how many times you see it, 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 there's just so much, it's, it is something that just doesn't get talked about uh, as readily and as much as it needs to be. And I mean, even amongst us, you know, and adults, you know, that it's a conversation that kind of should keep going. And there's something that's so different that comes out of this conversation, um, at least in, in my experience, and hopefully other people feel the same way, that you leave this conversation with a sense of empowerment for talking about things. And for me, that comes from a place where for the first time, I don't feel like it is a responsibility for me to talk about things and I don't have to actively like be this person going around preventing this bad thing from happening and I don't feel responsible for taking care of things, but instead I come out knowing that I can and being more willing to because I know I'm capable of it and that facilitating me to want to do it more than knowing that I should, which has been how I felt in other conversations previous to the Realer Than That program. So let's uh, talk a bit now about um, from the actor's point of view. Uh, this is actually a play I have directed a number of productions of. I actually have acted uh, in a workshop of this play. It is actually a really very challenging play to work on, and I, I think it, it opens up an opportunity to sort of talk a bit about the tools that you guys are using to find your way to these characters. Can you guys talk a bit about um, what you find to be the biggest challenges of this particular play and these particular roles? Um, sure. I think um, one of the things that is a big challenge for me is that um, I feel like often when you're working on a play as an actor, the challenge is to not play the end of the play at the beginning of the play. And in a way, this play is sort of the opposite in that so many revelations happen at the end of the play that your character knows at the beginning of the play, the audience just doesn't know that. So in, in a weird way, you sort of have to play the end of the play, at least internally, 
from the beginning. And it's such a complicated play and such a tightly well-written play, I think, in that the way those revelations are revealed that even it take it takes a lot of time to like read the play and think about the play and to be like oh okay so this is what i think happened even though the dialogue in the play is so um avoids it so carefully so that it can be a revelation at the end that um as an actor it's easy to be fooled into like oh so this is what happened but no, wait, that's not what happened. This is what happened. And so it takes a lot of work and a lot of like living with the play to really get straight in your head what it is my character comes in with, what knowledge it is that my character comes in with, what goal my character comes in with, and why, and really playing it. Um, because sometimes the way that the interactions go in the scene, it feels counterintuitive. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think uh, it, 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 like a lot of the challenge really lies in uh, kind of the actor's individual work about figuring out what happened that night. And I think the trap, at least for, from the perspective of working on Jared, is that even from the beginning of hearing this play for the first time and my experiences of watching it, you know, I always have... Uh, kind of put myself in Jared's shoes and known, no, that's not what happened. And, you know, I'm being accused of something nine years later that's not true. But when you actually sit down to do the work on figuring out what the circumstances were that night, it becomes very tricky to not build in the back door of where the area is gray. You know, it's like, well, I know this happened, I know this happened, I know this happened, but it was dark. And I saw a tear, but I couldn't, you know, and it's like, and then you start building in a way for which Colleen's story could also be true. Where in actuality, my job as the actor is not that. I don't have to make everything she says true to do my job and my part. And, and kind of one of the ways we've talked about it is, you know, that the play I'm in is not a play where a girl finally, you know, tells a person that sexually assaulted her that that had happened. It's a play where my character is falsely accused of rape. And that's the way I have to play it. And so uh, it's, it's, it is a huge challenge to kind of consistently make more and more specific why I know for certain that is not what happened. And, you know, it's helpful for us to have different circumstances because that's what makes the conflict stronger and uh, and the characters in turn more sympathetic and equally uh, you know uh, where your allegiances can shift on who you are sympathetic to one of the other challenges I will say in trying to find that specificity and, and it just it goes back to kind of what this program is about is that uh, it, it was really strange as I was doing it but you know as I as I built these circumstances, I feel kind of funny talking actually in front of Caitlin about this right now because I'm not sure it's something I should share. <laughs> but I would you like me to leave the room? No, I will, but I'll, I'll, I will a little bit, but I won't go in too much detail. But um, in 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 kind of trying to understand like how did that night go and how did the events 
play out and putting more of the responsibility of what happened on her so I know that it wasn't my responsibility and that she was kind of calling the shots. Some of the signs that she gives me started to become things that I read about in papers that, you know, this recent uh, thing uh, with the Navy, at the, the Navy, Navy. And, and, and the stuff that these, these attorneys were grilling this girl who had been assaulted by, I think, three men and asking her, uh, about comments she made about, oh, I'm, I'm sorry I've been such a whore, or talking about uh, what she was wearing and this stuff. Suddenly, as I'm trying to pull out the specifics of the night, m things like that came in, and, I, and it would make me panic a little bit that, that I was doing victim blaming to make the play work for me. You know, that it was like, well, you know, I, you know she wasn't wearing any underwear. Whoa, did I just say that? That scares me. But no, it's not that she wasn't. It's specifically that I know from our experience of talking about this that that is a sign that we, you know, like I, you know, and it's just, that is a side challenge, is that you start to find yourself getting into corners that not, you don't know how to work your way out of. It's, they're scary corners to Face. And it's something I know, again, having directed a number of actors in it and then working on that role myself, that there is just something about as a good and decent person that you hear from someone, I was raped, you want to make that better and you want to apologize. <laughs> that she thinks it's your fault. That there, except that, of course, in, in order for the play to work, you know, Jared's experience of it has to be just that that's just flatly not true, um, or else the play doesn't work. But it is something that I, I, there is just that impulse, and it's exactly that, about you don't want to be the kind of guy who, you know, would be whatever. Except I think at least for the, part of the point of it is, you don't have to be a kind of guy who, in order to willingly or unwillingly misread what's going on in a situation. You know, but you need to take responsibility for trying to read it correctly. I mean, is is all is I guess all that you can do. But it it is a real challenge, and it was so interesting because again, Caitlin and I actually worked on this together, um, and it was very intentionally I did it as an experiment as a director because I had worked with so many actors who always, when they got to that part of the scene, you know, their hands were up in a defensive position, saying, "I didn't do it," you know. You, you told me you wanted it, you know, whatever the lines are there. And it's like, but that, but watching it from the outside, that doesn't work because that tells me right away he did do it. He knows he did it, you know, whether consciously or not. But it was such an interesting thing that I thought, well, I want to play with this role so I can see what it's like to be inside it. And I found myself doing exactly the same thing. Um, you know, but it really has to do with making those choices and stuff we've talked about in other episodes, but really making those very clear choices of circumstance of, well, I mean, we talked about this the other day, and maybe we don't want to talk about it in front of Caitlin, but when you say you were giving me all the signs, what were those signs other than the ones that are mentioned in the play? You know, what in exactly... Other than one, sorry, in other than the ones that are, you know... <laughs> that always come up in these conversations, you know, what the, the, you know, colloquial, the signs that people say, you know, well, she did this and she did that. That's where the victim blaming comes in and that you have to dig way deeper than that and, you know, and assume that there was a dialogue and assume that there were things communicated that would make it clear. 
Well, and one of the facts that Jared brings up is you were crying. And it's such an interesting thing, or I mean, Colleen says it, but he has a very specific perspective of what that meant. And they agree, she was crying, but you know, from the two different acting perspectives, what that had to mean to you as you're getting specific about it compared to what it had to mean to her as she's getting specific about it. That's where that conflict lives. And I think something that, and you sort of alluded to it, Caitlin, but you know, that I, I think is, is really interesting with this particular play about trying to balance what it is the characters know when. And I think it is one of those plays that sort of, there are five or six times in the play that each character realizes they're in a different play than the play they thought they were in. They are in a different situation than the situation that they thought they were in. And I remember it was a discussion that we had a while ago about it where what you, one of the things you were saying, Caitlin, was about the idea that you were saying, well, I'm just trying to, uh, trying to do this without letting him know that I think he raped me. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then what we're talking about is, but that's the whole, you walk in thinking he knows that. You walk in thinking not only that he knows it, but that he apologized for it already. Yeah. It's not a play where I reveal to this guy that he raped me. It's a play where I walk into a room with a guy who knows he raped me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there really is a degree to which sort of those realities and that idea about finding as actors sort of these competing realities that you're playing, which is what happens in life, you know, is that you have your experience of what's going on, someone else has their experience of what's going on, and, you know, you're battling over which one of your experiences is more accurate some of the time. But it is that idea that really that was almost as soon as that switch happened and you started playing that, the tension at the beginning of the play became much clearer because there were all sorts of things that he says early on in the play. I mean, he actually has a thing because he's trying to calm the situation down. He says, well, it was such a challenge to get in your pants the first time. I guess I'm thrown by the lack of challenge. And for him, He's trying to defuse the situation by making a joke out of it from her point of view, and especially given the fact that, as far as she knows, he knows what he did. What a horrifying thing that is to say. And so in terms of the way that the moment plays out, that you react as though that was that horrifying a thing to say, and then he reacts as though this girl who he's just trying to reacquaint himself with is all of a sudden getting very definitively distant from him. And it's sort of watching that dance happen that gets really interesting. And I, and I do like to think just in terms of the play that there are places where once you find out what happens, you look back on what happened earlier in the play and say, oh, that's why she responded that way. That's why he responded that way. That makes a whole different kind of sense. But it is in a special kind of challenge in a play like this, and I think there's a lot of plays that, can, that are plays like that, where it needs to make sense when you read it in both directions. That when you're reading it forward, you understand what's going on, but then when you understand later on what information you as an audience member didn't have that the character had, all of a sudden the behavior you thought made sense before now makes sense, but in a different way. And it's, you know, it's, anyway, it's an interesting challenge of this particular piece. And I also think um, just some of the given circumstances of the play themselves are challenging for me as an actor. Um, I think Colleen's whole um, objective going into the play is, is not necessarily the most rational objective. 
and it took me a long time as an actor, and since we've spoiled the play already anyway, I can talk about it, but um, you know, she, she comes into the play wanting to have sex with Jared to save her marriage, essentially, <laughs> which, when you put it that way, doesn't sound like the most rational plan in the world. But the more I worked on it, I was, you know, you find a way to make that rational and you find a way to make it the only way that she can save her marriage. But it, it, it's a hard, it's a hard, it's hard work to do because it's, especially given their backstory and what happened, it's like, why would she ever in a million years have sex with him again? Um, but then that goes back to another statistic that we usually bring up in, um, in this program that 40% of women who have been sexually assaulted um, by an acquaintance will have sex with their, with that person again. And um, this is a little different in that it's like nine years later, but it, it's definitely not unheard of. And, um, but yeah, that's definite, that was definitely a challenge for me working on the play is, is figuring out how that makes sense to Colleen and why that's what she needs to do. Um, yeah. And what, what did you do in terms of figuring that out? Well, um, I did a lot of work on the sort of unseen character of Ted in the play. Um, I, I, I love sometimes... Ted is her husband. Ted is, is, is Colleen's husband in the play, and I love how sometimes when we have talkbacks after this play, people talk about the third character of the play, which is Ted. And so um, what helped me do that is it, doing a lot of work on him and what has happened in our relationship since the episode aired where Jared talked about me and, and how bad it has gotten and thinking and I've also gotten married over the course of working on this play over the two years that we have been doing it and um and that's been interesting too to and, and enlightening in ways that I, I didn't totally expect just in terms of what would I do if my marriage was going to end and what would I do to try to save that and thinking about the person that you love so much and planned on spending your whole life with all of a sudden is not the same person to you and um, makes you feel bad about yourself every time you look at them. And um, <clears throat> and the lengths that you would go to save that. And and also there, I, I started thinking about it in terms of empowerment and, and the idea that she's not someone who would ever cheat on her husband. And the only person she can cheat on him with is this guy because he's the one who caused everything to begin with and she's going to have sex with him on her terms and then go back to her husband and not have to think about it anymore. And she will have this secret that she is keeping from her husband, but the fact that he the fact that her husband is treating her in this way as if she constantly needs to be taken care of has made her hate him. But if she has also done something to her husband in a way she won't be allowed to hate him anymore. So that's my total reveal of how I deal with it. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I would like to talk briefly about one specific challenge of this particular production, and I mean the one that we are doing this week, um, which is that you, Caitlin, actually have been doing this play with Josh Bywater, another member of our company, for most of the times that we've been doing it, well, for all of the times that we've been doing it for the past couple of years. And Josh now is working on a television show and was not able to join us. And so, Will, you took over the role of this character um, in a production that already existed. 
And uh, I don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit about, uh, Will, sort of what the challenges specifically were to step into a role in a production that already had staging and already had uh, a shape to it. And also, Caitlin, what it was like for you to all of a sudden be in the same production you've been doing for two years, but now with a different actor. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it, there, there were things about this experience that, on the one side, felt kind of comforting and easy and then turned around and felt very difficult at times. I think in the beginning, you know, I not only was it a production that already existed, but it was a production that I'd already seen a ton of times. Uh, so I was familiar with it and like I felt like I could walk into the rehearsal and know that a general shape and as we were kind of, you know, we kind of put it up on its feet and just laid out that stuff early on and I felt like oh yeah I know this I know this I mean that was kind of comforting I was like oh I can yeah and obviously we knew things some things were gonna change and some moments were gonna be a little different since it's two different people um, I think the challenges came in uh, when I re when you know I realized that the the discovery work that I feel like normally would come was really I felt like a lot of it I had to like just really sit down and do, you know, outside of the rehearsal process. That I had to, uh, and you know, sometimes that stuff comes out of it, but it was, but there was kind of like, you know, putting this piece of the puzzle back into a puzzle that's just about finished. And, and, and it was, it was a challenge as I found, uh, you know, felt like, okay, we're there, we're there, this is feeling good. And like, oh, I am. I have so much more work to do for myself to make all of this work now that I'm in it, you know? And uh, so that was uh, that was the challenging part is just, you know, I, I think most of the stuff kind of generally made sense in the shape of the way things worked and it was about doing the personal work I needed to do to really make it work for me uh, was... And, and it was and actually I, the the process of like finding the things that just I wasn't sure how to make work for me and having the the ability to talk about it in the rehearsal process felt I mean that felt really open and good and like it was you know there were things that changed because it just didn't totally make the same sense with me for whatever reason. What about you, Caitlin? Yeah, I think for me. Um I went into it knowing that I was the one who knew the lines already, I knew the staging already, and we were going to plug this other wonderful actor in to this thing that already existed. And um, I knew there would be new things that came up, but I, I don't think I anticipated how much of that would be new. Um, I remember the very first time we actually ran it through with the two of us, not just reading it, but like on our feet and actually running through this play, the blocking that already existed and, and the lines that I've said a million times and thinking like, oh, that's that's not working. That's not working anymore. <laughs> that sounds weird. Why, why am I saying it like that? And I don't really think I ever had like a set in stone performance or a set in stone delivery with Josh, but we knew what the exchange was. And it's just different with a different actor and you're getting different things from them. And the way you say a line sometimes does, doesn't work the same way. And I had to, um, I shouldn't say had to because it was actually very exciting to discover that I 
could do this play in a different way with a different actor and to see what new stuff came up and what new opportunities arose. So I was surprised when it happened, but then excited about it afterwards to really kind of, and I kind of went back and like, I had done extensive work on a lot of backstory stuff with like me and Josh's version of high school Jared. (laughs) And um, I totally redid it based on Will's version of high school Jared and um, I found a lot of like interesting helpful things that um, were just new and different and um, and that were really exciting to discover. How about for you Kit? What was the experience like for you uh, directing a play of a production you'd already put together and plugging in me? <laughs> <laughs> It was very interesting, and I think a little different than it might normally be, if only, Will, because you have been so connected to the show all along. I mean, that that Will um, was really, a, on an administrative point of view, was really the, the, the person who was overseeing the development of this program. So it's a play that, you know, you and I have talked an awful lot about as a play. But it was also really interesting to see because certainly as we've talked about in earlier episodes I'm a big fan of you know you kind of get in there with the actors and you figure out how things are going to work best for them and stuff but there actually has been a lot of thought put into the way that this show is staged in such a way that A it tells the story but B that it's easily shiftable for different circumstances, for whether it's in the round or it's in a thrust or it's in a proscenium setting or it's in a theater or it's in uh, a, a different kind of an event room. And so that there was a lot of work that, that we put into developing a production that didn't take too much adjustment to move from one sort of setting to another. So that was stuff that we sort of had discovered with Josh, but it actually felt important to keep. Um, and so it really was that idea of on one hand, really working with you about sort of how to justify some of the things that worked differently on you, but also to choose the battles in terms of how could we make it work differently for you. That it was very important that we get you to the other side of the bed at this point, but maybe on you, it made sense to move on a line later, which was actually the line that seemed to resonate more for you, whereas the line before was the one that seemed to be moving Josh to action. You know, so it was sort of that idea of keeping the shape and keeping the storytelling while also trying to find the way that it worked, you know, most interestingly for you, and also making adjustments for you, Caitlin, in terms of the places where when on Josh a line might have been more of an attack that it was less so with Will that it no longer made sense for you to back away from him you know and to find the different and yet we still had to get you around the other side of the bed so how were we going to do that where we were changing things 10% rather than reinventing them. and so it was it was a really interesting um, process in that way and there also was it was it was interesting that there were some things you know where there's a bit of stuff that comes close to stage combat sort of things um, where you know the characters are rolling around on the bed and 
she's trying to make the encounter go one way, he's trying to make it go the other way before they sort of break away from each other and realizing that this isn't going the way they want it to. But there was a lot of sort of talking through the technical elements of, and this is the place where your hand goes on her back. And part of actually I'm realizing now was that there were things that we had sort of discovered through the rehearsal process that we kind of all knew what they were. But to actually articulate out loud, it's important that you get your hand in to move her hand first so that we understand when your hand goes on her back that the reason you're doing it is that that it's all of the same ideas, but there was something about kind of having to lay it out in terms of this is the step and this is why it's there, that somehow it actually was cleaner and clearer um, than it had been because it was something that we were approaching in, in that way rather than discovering and setting. So it, it actually really made me articulate as a director exactly what it was we had discovered sometimes. Um, because there was something that, you know, Josh realized worked for him and it worked great for me too from a storytelling point of view. So we never really talked about it except to say to keep it. Whereas things where it's like, well, I, you know, where you would say, well, I'd rather do this first. Like, well, actually, it's important we do it in the other, re other order for this reason, which I have never really had cause to articulate. Um, so that was interesting um, to do. I remember what I was going to say before. All right. But um, <laughs> the thing was uh, thinking about me being the one who has done the show before and us putting in a new actor with Will. I realized after a couple of rehearsals that I had been putting all this pressure on myself that, oh, I should be perfect already and I should already have this down, which wasn't something I was consciously thinking, but I remembered like every time we would do a rehearsal and I would get notes, I'd be like, oh, I should know that already. I've, I've done this play. And the, that realization and releasing myself from that responsibility of obviously an actor is never perfect and a performance is never perfect and you're constantly figuring it out um, was an important discovery for me. And actually, that was, I guess, so that I thought was into that Jenny Curlin, who was, who's my associate, uh, director on, on this show and actually has played Colleen in the past she had been out of town and so wasn't there for our first couple of rehearsals and came back and what she said I thought was interesting she said you know it's interesting it's the same notes every production with this show no matter who it is there are certain challenges to the play that it's always the same thing to uh, to tackle but that, uh, that, is, that is an interesting thing. And, and also that idea of not just like this is where there's a problem, but that the solution to a lot of the problems is the same. It's, yeah, I, I, I mean, I remember in the early rehearsals, you know, talking about, you know, you, you set up very well what the pitfalls always are. And, and you know, a feeling like I had a, a, a grasp on, that, on what those were, and I think I did, you know, uh, in my mind. But I, but when you actually put it in up and into, you know, are working on it, it is. I, I described it to Jersey the other day in a very strange way. But I was like, you ever see Apollo thirteen? And in Apollo thirteen, they're like every moment of that movie is like we got to keep the moon in the window, and if we don't, we skew off course this way, this way. It's like that. It feels like there is something so specific about the moments of this play and the way it unfolds and and you know the 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 way the the actor the characters need to read to the audience that 
it is a, there's a very small uh, margin of error. And when I say error, I don't mean like you did it wrong, but there are there are there are traps that you can really, really, really easily fall into mm. if you don't create really specific things and kind of specifically specific things that yeah. that that work. And it is interesting that the thing that the thing that it always comes back to for both characters is that idea that you have the right to your point of view and you have to stand up for it, which is just sort of an interesting thing given what the discussion is that we end up having after these plays, but that that is the solution in many, many ways in almost every moment of almost every moment that we would find we need to look at making it work. It almost always came back to your character has the right to the thing that they want and they have to ask for it like it's something they have the right to. It's what we always talk about, you know, characters having a conflict, but who are doing what they desperately believe is right. And, you know, I mean, that's sort of the interesting thing about the end of the play is he comes into the play trying to find happiness for both him and Colleen. She comes into the play trying the last thing that she can think of to save her marriage. And they both walk out of it broken. Um, but they don't walk out of it broken because they were coming in to do something bad. They come out of it broken because they can't both have the thing that they want. You know, conflict. And Jen, you obviously have seen this play a number of different times and have now seen it with Will and Caitlin. Um, what, what is your experience of seeing the same production but with a different actor? I think that the, it's the same play. It's very similar to what uh, Jenny Carlin said. It's the same play. I'm seeing the same story I have. Um, I still come away from it not wanting to end up either of these characters, but I'm having a different journey through it because I feel like the, um, the way that it bounces back between these two actors is different from the way that it bounced between Josh and Caitlin and, and that different, different things pop out to me about the play. I, different things, they land differently on, on each other, on the two actors as I see it, and then they land differently for me. And it's things I helped to develop this play. I've been around this play for years and years, and it's all elements of the play that have always been there for me. But it's, it's kind of putting a spotlight on different things, either that I hadn't, for, that I had forgotten or that just hadn't really resonated in the, you know, in the last two years. <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap up. Thank you very much to Bucknell for hosting us, and a special thanks to Tracy and Eliza for joining us afterwards for this conversation. If you're interested in bringing the Realer Than That program to your school, you can contact Will Clark at willclark@cryhavoccompany.org. Or if you're interested in producing Realer Than That yourself at your school or your theater, the performance rights are available through Samuel French at samuelfrench.com. If you'd like to learn more about Cry Havoc, our classes, and our other programs, go to cryhavoccompany.org. Please follow us on Twitter at CryHavocNYC, or you can find us on Facebook as The Cry Havoc Company. You can subscribe to this podcast in the iTunes Store, and while you're there, please write a review and give us a rating. It helps other people find the podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. 
Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavocompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.